Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to No Budget Nightmares. This is Mo. He's a bad film hating while I skating all the while masturbating. That's, That's Mo Porn, yeah. yeah. And with me, as always, is the one and only Doug Tilly. He's bow, Doug bow, Tilly, bow, 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 number bow, one super bow, guy. Bow, bow. Number one super guy. Mo, I'm feeling very centered this week on No Budget <laughs> Nightmares. Oh yeah. I've been, I've been, I've been repeating my mantra. I've been uh, very zen. Uh, is, has your mantra been, I no longer ever have to watch women <laughs> studies again? That, uh, no, but it should be. But the fact it, is... It, it was mine. That movie has been sort of haunting me since we recorded about it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just a little bit. Because, for one thing, once we release the episode, then we have to kind of push people to listen to it. And then yeah. when they listen to it... And, and we've seen this time and time again. People feel intrigued by it. And it's like, well, what kind of movie could make someone so upset? Maybe we should go out and watch it as well. And I've heard back from multiple people who went and saw the movie. Uh-huh. And has, the... has anybody felt differently than we have? Up to this point, no. Uh. Uh, I don't think we mentioned on the last show, um, but uh, Rue, uh, our, our, um, our regular musical contributor. The third actually, part. The third our... part. Tripod. The third Beatle. Uh, he is. Uh, he, he actually passed over to me a recording with the director of Women's Studies, uh, which was done. It was actually an interview that was done as a fallout of that Jezebel article that we talked about. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is basically uh, someone who was in school with this guy and was convinced that he was a feminist and not actually some kind of men's rights nutcase at all. Well, I'm uh, sure that I mean, I mean I'm sure that's entirely plausible. Absolutely, it's just, it, it's just it didn't come off that way in his movie, right? And again, I'm not trying to accuse him of one way or the other. I'm saying right. that he made a movie that's slanted in that way, or at least from all visible and audible parts of it uh, appear right. to slant that way. And so, if he meant a different message, then he fucked up. He fucked up really badly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we had to pay for his fuck up. <laughs> By watching that movie. By watching the movie. That's exactly right. Uh, a good friend of the show, Steve Carlson, when I, uh, he's on Twitter and he's a, he's a really strong writer himself. He went immediately uh, after listening to the episode and hearing me vent about it. He went and, listen, and watched the movie and he had a very similar reaction to us. <laughs> he just couldn't believe that anyone could, uh, could come at this from a perspective other than what you know? It's something that's particularly offensive. And honestly, the more I think about it, the more sort of offended I get by it. But I, right. you know, now I, I'm being looked at, Mo, and probably both of us are being looked at as being social justice warriors. I hope I'm not. Mm, you are, Mo. You are now oh. an SJW. Uh, <laughs> an SJW. That's what a social justice warrior is. Uh, which is so funny because, like, I'm not. We are warriors of the night. 
I'm Warriors let's, of the Wasteland. Let's get matching tattoos, SJW tattoos. <laughs> on our dicks? On our dicks, and we'll make them touch. <laughs> oh. And we'll, we'll photograph it, and we'll put it on the uh, Facebook group. Oh, God. Okay. All right. A little sword fighting going on early yeah. in Do this little, episode of No Budget Nightmares. A little docking real early. <laughs> I also wanted to mention before we get into today's much more exciting and interesting movie, uh, that we uh, heard back, I heard back from Johnny Dickey uh, about his, you might remember a couple episodes ago, we covered Johnny Dickey's Slaughter Tales here on No Budget Nightmares. It, it rings a bell. It rings a bell. I think you might recall, but I was mostly talking to the listeners. Mm-hmm. And Johnny mentioned to me that his mother listened to the episode of No Budget Nightmares. And in fact, him having to run constantly to the bathroom has become a little in-joke in their household now, which to me is the greatest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) I hope for the rest of his life, his mother's like, well, Johnny, why don't you go to the bathroom? Maybe that's where you'll feel more comfortable. Maybe you you can set something on fire in there. You have an issue. You should should really go to the bathroom. (laughs) It's your safe place. So uh, I doubt... Just just imagine him, like, you know, getting older and, like, meeting a girl and, like, um, (laughs) getting married and having a kid. And then they start having, like, marital issues and he goes to talk to his mother about it. And she's just like, well, maybe you should go to the bathroom. It'll (laughs) clear your mind. Just rocking himself in there. Oh, this, everything's all right in here. (laughs) <laughs> but we kid because we love And uh, if Johnny Dickey's mother is listening Hello uh, You're probably not But we are giving you a shout out on the show Because <laughs> that is a very hilarious way of speaking to your son <laughs> we, we, we love you Mama Dickey Which brings us to today's feature Fuck yeah Now uh, those who listened to the previous episode Might recall that because we had such a hard time With the material We decided to give ourselves a little treat Yes, and, and when, treat we did. Yes, and, and when I say a little treat, what I actually mean is a very big treat. Yeah. A big treat. <laughs> I don't even I don't even think we really deserve to cover such a good movie on this show, but well, there's a lot of stuff we don't deserve that we end up, you know, experiencing <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's true. Now one of the things we mentioned when uh introducing the fact that we were gonna be talking about this movie, and by the way, on No Budget Nightmares this week we're gonna be talking about Don Dohler's nineteen eighty two movie Night Beast. Beast. We mentioned that it was probably gonna make some people very happy. Yeah. Yes, certain fans of the show, people who are friends of the show, certainly, uh like John Cross, and the other person is Robert Long, very good friend of the show, but also mm-hmm. someone who was very close to Don before his unfortunately early death. And um, and I hope Robert doesn't mind me saying this, and I'm not going to speak for him, but one of the things uh, after the previous show is that Robert reached out to me, and he voiced a few concerns about us covering the show, and very, very valid and very reasonable concerns, because, folks, let's face it, this show is called No Budget Nightmares, and when you use the word nightmares, there's a connotation there that what you're covering is not good. Which isn't always the case. Isn't always the case, but yeah. there is a connotation, particularly because our most well-known shows are covering movies that really generally aren't very good. Yeah, well, you know, they can't all be hip-hop locos, <laughs> you know. So, uh, and Robert voiced some concerns regarding that, and, and especially because he's, he, he has a personal connection with this movie and with Don's work in general. And I, I really wanted to make sure that, that before we jump into talking about the movie, that we really... Reiterate how much respect we have for Don That we're not going to take any shots at him As a filmmaker or as a, as a human being Certainly But right. I also want to reiterate Because I really 
been diving into his career over the past week or so that uh i mean i i'm actually in awe of the life of don <laughs> doler from from his underground comics work to his magazine work with Cinemagic, which influenced you know a, a whole generation of effects artists, mm. to to his filmmaking, he lived in his again a life that was cut short way too early. He still lived three, probably more than three lives that uh, that any of us would be proud to have. So I just want to make sure that it's very clear that today we are this is this is a no budget celebration of a <laughs> of a of a, of a of a true you know originator, but also one, a person who influence so much of the work that we love anyway yeah yeah i i have to tell i have to i have to say and i've been saying this for years and i keep meaning to fix it and i just haven't yet but i probably will after you know a- after this um is that of all of the notable no budget filmmakers or low budget filmmakers you know that doler is really the the one who i haven't delved enough into his career like as of this episode I've actually only seen well three technically because I saw they they, because they made one on like an MST three K thing right it was that was it yeah um so I've seen but but the two that I've sat down that weren't like you know rift uh was obviously Night Beast for this and I had seen Blood Massacre previously for I I believe it was covered we covered it on uh, Drunk Drunk on on VHS yeah um so I mean you know and I and I loved. Uh, I really loved Blood Massacre, despite you know the the the, the sort of weird history it has, uh, and obviously you know everybody will know soon enough how much I enjoyed Night Beast. Well, now they oh, know. Spoiler. Oh. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm blown, <laughs> blow... There goes Mo again, blowing his load too early. <laughs> Just a habit you have. Yeah. No, I'm a... like <laughs> I'm a premature podcaster. I mean, the fact is, there isn't a lot. There's there's too few Don Dolan movies to actually enjoy out there, especially when you if you consider his career kind of being in two halves, uh, where he produced his later work as opposed to directing and then there is directorial work from the late 70s to the early 90s if you consider Blood Massacre for, uh, being from the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but like yourself, I only saw a few of his movies. I'd seen The Alien Factor. I'd yeah. seen A Night Beast before, but th- this has been years and years. And certainly when I saw it the most recent time it was before I developed as much of an appreciation for low-budget filmmaking, and even though I liked it at that time, mm. um, I, I didn't realize what, and this is a word that we use so often, what an accomplishment it is. Right. But the, so sometimes we use that word accomplishment with a low-budget film, because really, when you make a movie, if you're able to create something that's 90 minutes or nearabouts, and it tells a story, and it has even a, a modicum of entertainment value, that is an accomplishment. It's a Absol- massive accomplishment. Absolutely. I think of every time that someone starts a movie, it's like starting a small business, right? You have to get all of those pieces together, and most of them fail <laughs> in the first month or it's, year or whatever, it's, right? It's true, yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, that that any of them ever succeed is really kind of baffling. But when they really bring a lot of entertainment value and there's a real kind of sense of of – uh, interesting things happening all the way through. That is literally a miracle. And so I will start today's episode by calling Don Dolder a miracle worker. Ooh. Well, maybe that gave away my thoughts on the movie, too. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to say is we wouldn't have picked Night Beast as a treat for us if we didn't think it was a treat. And when I say treat, I don't mean treat it as in, oh, let's tear this piece of shit apart, because that's not really a treat for me. 
No, um, that's well, something I mean, that it's well, it it it's fun maybe to listen to, but I still need to watch the movie and take notes. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. You know, uh, it, it's kind of funny because last last week or uh, last episode, I should say, not last mm-hmm. week, seventeen weeks ago when we did the last episode, <laughs> uh, uh, I had joked. I mean, I was I'll be honest, but I had you know jokingly sort of re- referred to the fact that. Uh, I had run through women's studies faster than I had done any other movie. That's right. But that's not true anymore because I actually went through Night Beast a lot quicker than I did women's studies because it's a, a you know, it's a shorter, shorter film. Mm-hmm. Um, but not because like, because it was tormenting me, but because I was having so much fun watching it that, that like I didn't want to pause uh, to, to, to take my notes. So I'm like scrambling to take notes as I'm watching it because I don't, I didn't want to stop the fun. <laughs> I, uh, I watched Night Beast, uh, and then I followed it up with the Don Dollar documentary, uh, Blood, Boobs, and Beast. Oh, which is great. Which is terrific. And yeah. both. Night Beast and Blood Boobs and Beast can be viewed legally on YouTube. Now, that said, if you can, I would strongly recommend uh, forking out, I I don't know if it's still in print, I don't think it is, but if you can find it, the DVD, the Troma DVD of Night Beast, and even though Troma's DVDs are a mixed bag sometimes, Mm. that release of Night Beast has a really terrific commentary by Don Dohler and George Stover that I I just listened to today. And And I mean, again, you want to talk about a depth of appreciation. The more you realize about what he was accomplishing, the more that appreciation just grows and grows. Mm-hmm. And again, this isn't going to be <laughs> this isn't going to be a ninety minute blowjob. We we, we we promise you. But I just wanted to say, like uh, right off the bat, that you know by delving in, I really my uh, a guy I already had a lot of respect for. It just kind of grew exponentially the more I was listening and and reading. Yep. But with that all said, with all that bullshit pushed to the side, we need to talk about Night Beast, brother. Do we have any house cleaning to do before? That was the house cleaning. Oh, well, hey. <laughs> there's nice. going to be some there's going to be some post-film house cleaning because uh, our uh, next two episodes are going to be uh viewer chosen movies just like Women's Studies was. Yeah. Uh but I'm uh, extremely excited about this next movie. Uh it's going to be something different than we've ever done before yeah meanwhile the one after that is going to be something that i've done a couple of times before. you have done but it's also one that our audience has been clamoring for it's and true it's true what, what i told the person when they chose it i said you know we didn't do this early in the show because mo had covered it fairly recently on his own podcast and had talked about it at length and in all sorts of different places but yeah. that was like two and a half years ago that's true that was a long time ago but uh, we'll let everybody know what those are at the end of the show. Suckers. That's right. Stay tuned. Night Beast was made in, I guess it was made actually in 1981 or around 1982 and released in 1982. One of the interesting things that I, I, uh, I discovered on the commentary, Mo, and you might not, not know this, is that it was actually, there was an attempt to film Night Beast, uh, a slightly different version not directed by Don Dolder, a few years before Night Beast was made, and some of the footage from that original shoot is in Night Beast. Oh, yeah? That's why when certain things don't make sense, <laughs> it's possible that you're getting a patch, a little patch piece, a little shot from that older version, which is... <laughs> there's one moment in particular near the end of the movie where a character starts to appear, and you're like, who is that guy? What's he doing there? <laughs> and that character comes from the original shoot. Nice. Well, we'll point that out when we get to it. Uh, we do get a great opening credits to Night Beast. 
Yeah. It's terrific. It's flying through the stars. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And the like the 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 title Night Beast lights up with great like laser graphics. It is terrific. In fact, it's so good. It's like this isn't a low budget movie at all. This is like Superman. Yeah, well, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it's shot on sixteen millimeter, so it wasn't Superman. But yeah. it's it. Uh, there might be some recognizable names if you are a fan of Don Dollar's movies, particularly George Stover, who appeared in all of them. Uh, and there are a few other kind of not recognizable uh, actors in terms of from other projects necessarily. A lot of them are amateur. In fact, the cast in general, <laughs> I think it's fair to say, are amateur actors. Uh, but there is one name in particular that might jump out to modern viewers. Oh, yeah? And what's that? Well, what do you think it is? I don't know, man. I wasn't yeah, paying attention. I never pay attention to the actors. Well, the only, are... I mean, obviously, I knew George Stover because he was in Blood Massacre, <laughs> you know. But I, I kind of get a kick out of the fact that I'm I'm watching like I, like I kind of went backwards with the whole George Stover thing because like everybody knew him as sort of like the timid guy who always played like a scientist or like a, you know. <laughs> exactly. But the first movie I saw him in, he was playing the badass. So That's right. That's right. <laughs> so like to see him go backwards like it was kind of weird for me, but then I remembered, "Oh right, this is what he's sort of known for." <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't talking about acting, in fact. I was Ooh. talking about oh, I, okay, okay. oh, now you figured now it out. Now I figured it out. Because uh, uh, one of Je the names... Jeffrey uh, Abrams. <laughs> Jeffrey Abrams helps do the music for this movie. And Jeffrey Abrams, he was a little boy, and he grew up to be a big boy. And that big boy changed his name from Jeffrey to J.J. Well, yeah, because he was such a big fan of J.J. Uh, Walker. Yeah, Jimmy... J.J. Walker? <laughs> yeah, whatever. That's I why. Don't, I don't know. I was trying to make a joke there, and it just it just backfired. <laughs> well, on I, I heard you, and I accept the joke, and I'm going right. to push it back at you. Yes, no, J.J. Abrams, we're not joking around. He did the music, or helped with the music, and did some of the music for Night Beast, and he would later grow up to direct those Star Trek movies and that Mission Impossible movie and some Star Wars movie that's coming out. Star Wars? What's that? Star Wars! Nothing but Star Wars. And it's actually kind of an interesting circular thing because the Alien Factor, Don Dollar's first movie, its success in the documentary, uh, it, it suggested that it became successful because after the release of the original Star Wars, there was a clamoring for uh, television material that was like sci-fi related. Hmm. So, And then J.J. Abrams goes on to make Star Wars. Fascinating. Fascinating. I love those connections, don't you, Mo? Meh. The movie starts. <laughs> the movie starts with a spaceship flying through the stars. Yep. What did you think of the special effects at the beginning? I thought it was actually pretty cool. They're amazing. They're you know, so like, much fun. <laughs> I, I like. I remember like popping it on because, like I said, I'd never seen this before, so I didn't mm -hmm. really know what to expect. I, I mean, I didn't think I was going to dislike it, but at the same time, I didn't know what to expect. And then when you get that crazy opening where it's like space and you get the, the you know like the the laser drawn out uh, like neon lettering and shit, and then all of a sudden there's this spaceship hurtling through space and like flies by Saturn and shit. I'm like, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. And that's, like those, that's those a way are, to start a film. Those are all like cutouts too, all like the backgrounds and stuff. Uh, and it, oh. it's, it looks really, really good. Kind of looks like the opening of the uh, John Carpenter remake of the thing where it's just like a spaceship going through space. Uh, and then, well, in this case, <laughs> and you don't know this yet, but the night beast, he is actually uh, flying this spaceship. What? And he crashes into a meteor like a fucking idiot. <laughs> well, okay, let's 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 give him a little bit of credit. Okay. A, a meteor crashes into him. Well, <laughs>
They'd be crazy to follow us, wouldn't they? Yeah. Hey, that's a Star Wars reference. I got it. Uh, then he uh, gets fucked up by this meteorite, and he gets sent towards this shitty, ugly-looking blue planet. Ugh. That's no moon. <laughs> that's another one. Uh, <laughs> but it's not a moon. It's the Earth. He lands on our Earth. Yeah. He crash lands, in fact, and he actually has some really bad luck. Uh, remember, I am here, dot, 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 now? You know, I do, because Jesus... uh, there was this thing about cancer chemo. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. When an alien, there's an alien Jesus lands on Earth there on a spaceship, and he crashes into a desert. Well, in this case, we don't crash into a desert. He crash lands, the night beast, crash lands into, like, a forest. Which is very surprising in this kind of movie, because, like... Taking film taking place in a forest is just very rare. I was thinking about this a couple of days ago that a forest for a filmmaker mm-hmm. is like international waters. It really is. Yeah, like anything can happen out there. You could do any, you could set something on fire. Right. You can blow shit up. You <laughs> could probably, if you had a really annoying cast member, you could probably kill them and bury Ooh. them. They'd never be found again. Uh. If it's a deep enough forest <laughs> or a deep enough hole. I'm not suggesting that happen on this no. shoot. <laughs> Probably not, but uh, characters do suspiciously disappear all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's this crash landing. The spaceship actually explodes, uh, and uh, there's some nearby campers who notice what's going on. And uh, one of them is actually there's only one that's awake, and his two friends are sleeping. And this is his initial reaction. What the hell was that? <laughs> Seems pretty reasonable. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I heard a giant crash in the middle of the woods, I would wonder what the hell it was, too. And, and now, the ship itself doesn't explode until after he says this line. And when the alien ship starts to explode, it really explodes. Like, it explodes for, like, like a good 60 seconds it's straight of just sp- awesome. sparks and fireworks and shit. It's, I loved it. If you're going to blow something up, man, you blow it up. You show it from 12 different angles, and you blow the fuck out of it. Yeah, you don't just stick a fucking, you know, salute into a, a miniature and just pop. You know, no, you make that shit sparkle. Make it pop. And that that camper from before who said, what the hell was that? His response to seeing this shit explode goes, he goes, holy shit, which is a great response because yeah. it is surprising to see something like that. So he wakes up his friends and they think it's some kind of plane crash or a weather balloon. Well, or some swamp gas reflecting off of... Probably swamp gas. Speaking of gas, this is a very foggy forest. (laughs) It's filled with smoke and fog. Uh, All the better to see a really great shot of the creature silhouetted against that fog, and it actually looks super cool. I loved that shot. I'm like, this. that's pretty cool. That's a great way to introduce the alien. Now, at this point, we we haven't gotten a good look at the alien, but that right. will come. We're going to spend a lot of time with this guy because he's the only one. Now, what do you think the story of this alien is, Mo? Um, Did you think about it? You know, I I got to tell you, I didn't really – like, generally, I, I tend to take films at face value. I don't really mm-hmm. – uh, put my brain in that mode of, Oh, I wonder what his backstory is. You know, I wasn't really thinking that, but I mean, if I, if I give it a second, you know, you could wonder maybe he's given his personality type. Uh, maybe he's like, uh, some kind of escape, you know, like alien convict or perhaps, a uh, bounty hunter type. Oh, you know, because he does seem his reaction to encountering people on this strange planet is to just murder everybody. It's very hostile. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe he's yeah. just scared. Maybe he's just but, but he's probably as frightened of us as we are of him. But that's definitely a thought too, is that maybe he just you know, sees a bunch of guys with guns and thinks that they're gonna kill him. Yeah. I mean and and you know what? I think we should have more sympathy for the night beast than we end up doing. Then again, he does kill indiscriminately, including children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty that was pretty hardcore. Well, I mean and we're gonna get to that in a second, but before that we need yeah. to be introduced to the main character of the movie, Sheriff Jack Cinder. Jack. Jack, played by Tom Griffith. What's the distinguishing feature of Sheriff Cinder? He's got a serious mustache. He's got a serious mustache, and? I just saw the mustache, man. Well, he's got like, a great permed, curly hair. He does have some really good hair. He yeah. has some terrific That's, hair. That is some great early 80s hair. Uh, and, in fact, this character of Sheriff Jack Cinder was in Don Dohler's earlier movie, The Alien Factor, as well. In fact, most a lot of the elements of this and some of the characters are, are reminiscent of that movie. It's kind of a semi-remake of that movie. Mm. Uh, so Sheriff Jack Cinder is uh, played by Tom Griffith. Not a particularly strong actor, but uh, does have a tremendous mustache, which does a lot of the work for him. But you know what, though? It's like th- there weren't any actors in particular in this where I where I sat down and and like got so taken out of the film because of their bad acting you know like I it just wasn't the case like you know like and and we generally go into that like a lot absolutely whenever we find somebody who's just so bad but like I didn't I didn't really have any huge issues with with any of the actors in this I just kind of took it for what it was you know that's an I've been watching a lot of low-budget movies lately where almost like there's a lot of amateur actors in it, but then there's like one professional actor in it. Right, right. And that can actually be more distracting than, <laughs> than having just all amateur acting, right? That's, because that's if, you see, see, if you see one person who's much better than the rest of the cast, that stands out. But if they're all kind of not very good, then that, nothing stands out. And that means it's not as, not as much of an issue. No, it's true. It's it's almost better to have the entire uh, the entire cast be, for lack of a better term, mediocre than uh, than to have that one huge standout and make everybody else look terrible. So the sheriff goes outside because someone tells him that there's a fireball in the sky by a nearby cliff, and they go outside and they can see a uh, some smoke. And then a uh, a second person I think pulls up, and there's a small conversation about what could have caused this. Jesus. Must have been lightning. Hell, I ain't never seen lightning like that before. Some dramatic music there too. You got a little sense of what the what the the dialogue is like in the context of the movie. Um, there's a lot. There's a, a quite a few characters that are introduced at first, but we're going to kind of quickly be introduced to the main ones. One of the things that's suggested here is that Jack call uh, his sort of second in command, Lisa, who's another police officer. Uh, and uh, and he was hesitant, hesitant to at first, but then he does, and it, basically he's getting a whole group of people to check out what happened with this. Uh, See, uh, I, I didn't get the impression that she was his second in command. I got the impression that she was like the radio dispatcher. Yeah, maybe you're right, because he says uh, that she spent a lot of time uh, like at the desk and right. things like that. So yeah, she, I think he says she's used to desk work. Yeah, okay, you're right, but uh, but as we find out, there isn't a lot of police officers in this town. No, there's a handful at best. A handful. So while, uh, while they're getting their posse together, uh, the camper from earlier is searching the woods with a shotgun, which is, in, like you said, if you're carrying a gun, then an alien might see you as a visible threat. Right, exactly. Because obviously the alien has you know, knowledge of what a 
gun, quote unquote, mm-hmm. looks like, you know, so I mean, all guns look the same all throughout the universe. Well, it is funny how that tends to work out. But uh, in this particular case, they really kind of do. But yeah, I mean, but they, you know, they all grab their guns and they go to check it out. Which is which is a reasonable response, really, when you think about it. You yeah, know. they're being careful. They're just they're not making any quick judgments. They just want right. to see what's going on because I mean they thought it might be a plane crash, so it's not like they're necessarily looking to shoot the first person they see. Which is not the perspective that the night beast takes because as soon as they start searching the woods, the night beast jumps out, <laughs> literally jumps out, and zaps them with a laser gun. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad I took the time to write down Jerry's name because. Uh, <laughs> You know, he, he's in the film for quite a long time. <laughs> well, Jerry, who was the first camper, he gets zapped and turns into like a red outline and vanishes. And it's a really cool effect. Yeah, it actually makes a lot of sense because now you don't, you know, I mean, it it, it, it probably is more work in post. But, uh, you know, the, like the fact that now you don't have to worry about like so much fake blood or, right, or exactly. dealing with corpses or whatever. You know, it's just thump, and now there's just a black spot on the ground. It's actually pretty cool. And his two camper buddies, they see this happen, and they go, Jerry, Jesus Christ. And then they find that black outline on the ground, which is sort of like, were the world's E. Uh, <laughs> they see the creature in the distance, and they immediately get shot and killed by the laser gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, well, while the night beast has that gun, like it's like no one is safe. What's great about that gun is that it appears, and why not, ha- to have unlimited zapping power. Yeah. So it can just keep shooting these lasers, and like he just shoots them constantly. If there's a person around, he's shooting lasers at them. And I kind of love that he's got uh, that his sense of aim is is only slightly above stormtrooper level, you know, <laughs> whereas like he actually hits stuff every now and again. But uh, it, it is pretty. And but it's great though too because it seems like. As the film progresses, his aim gets worse and worse. Like right at the beginning of the film, he's hitting everything left and right, you know. And then like, then like there's that huge shootout scene that's coming up real soon, <laughs> you know. And uh, and it's just sort of just becomes pew 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 pew. pew. He's just firing everywhere. I like that the whole first kind of of thing that the good guys have to do once they discover what they're up against is okay. He has a laser gun that is killing everybody. Yeah. So the first thing we need to do is get that laser gun away from him. Yeah, let's call <laughs> let's call it a crack shot. <laughs> they have to get the best shot in town yeah. to shoot it out of his hand. He's like, but is... he's he's not a cop. No, but he's uh, he's the best shot in town. <laughs> he has a reputation. But before yeah. we get to that stuff, which is coming very soon, uh, we get to meet Uncle Dave. Uncle Dave. Uncle Dave is just some dude driving uh, his uh, his two uh, nephew, well, his nephew and his niece in the woods in the middle of the night for some goddamn reason, um, and he needs to stop and take a leak. <laughs> and in fact, these children, the children in this scene, are Don Dola's children. Oh, are they? That's great. Mm-hmm. Which makes what's about to happen <laughs> that much worse. <laughs> <laughs> So he goes out to take a leak, and that's always a bad idea when there's an alien kind of in the general vicinity. And uh, we see, it's, we notice that something is following him, and the kids jump out of the woods to scare him. <laughs> there's a great moment here too, where uh, after the kids scare him, and he's like, "Oh, leave me alone," you know. And then like the alien sort of uh, like the night beast kind of shows up behind him for like a split second. Yes, you know? <laughs> and they see the the beast and run back to the car and get in inside, which is a very smart decision that he should have followed. But because he didn't, he ends up dead on the on the front of the car. Yeah. Oh man. 
It's uh, I I can't, I loved it though because there's just that real quick shot where they cut back to sort of like the wide angle and then there's the aliens sort of standing there and you're like whoa. <laughs> well, now we're... you knew it was going to happen, right? But like it, it's it still sort of takes you takes you takes you back for a second. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. Now, this is the first time that we get a good look at the night. Yeah, it's also the first time we get an actual shot of the alien. Now, how would you describe the night beast's face? Uh, immobile. A little immobile. You know, I mean, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, the... Uh, not as bad, though, because at least his face can move. But uh, I was thinking, like, vaguely of the uh, the elves from Elves. Okay. But, um... I don't know he's uh I'm, well that's the other reason too would make you think that like he's not so nice because he's pretty vicious looking. He is vicious looking, but yeah. sometimes the most vicious people in our society are really the most kind. You know what they say about all those actors who play bad guys in movies are always nicer than the guys who plays heroes. Like Dan- boy, Christ. I said that like an idiot just then, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't. Did you say like Danny DeVito? Like Danny Trejo? Oh, <laughs> but also Danny DeVito. Yeah, well. <laughs> I mean, he has played villains, I guess. <laughs> uh, but the, another thing about the Night Beast face is that he has a real messed up grill. Dude's got a toothy grin. Don't we all? Yeah, well, maybe not all of us, but this guy has teeth going every which way. And they are like, kind of all over the place. It's great. <laughs> and he looks like he's smiling the whole time, which is, I guess, I guess to you, Mo, means that he looks a little vicious, but I... I interpret a smile as being something very comforting. And on his planet, I'm sure that's what it means, too. Well, but it's not, though. If you look if you look in, in the animal kingdom, what we interpret as a smile, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the animal kingdom interprets as a threat. Hmm. You know? Well, this, this is an alien, not an animal. Oh, all right. <laughs> we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> but uh, no matter what we think of the aliens' intentions, these kids know what's up, and they run off into the woods. And, uh, again, this is a really fog-filled woods, and the reason it's filled with fog is to hide the fact that it's not a woods at all. Do you know what it is? No. It's Don Dollar's backyard. Nice. A lot of this stuff is just, in fact, there's just like a small patch, and they're just shooting from different angles as the kids run through the woods, the same patch again and again. Isn't that, that is I love no budget like ingenuity, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I, it's one of those things where when I'm watching it, I didn't notice it all, but when I discovered it afterwards, it just gave me a more of an appreciation for what we were saying. Well, it's one of those things, like a lot of, a lot of low budget directors, you know, like you can act, you can really tell when they're reusing the same sort of shit over and over again. And in this, like, it's 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 too hard. Like, yeah, I didn't notice at all. Right. Yeah. So uh, they, these kids eventually come upon a house that's all lit up, and uh, they're going to, I guess, check out what's going on inside. At least that's a suggestion at first. And inside this house are a couple, and they are making out. Yeah, I, I you know, like, it was, it, it, it's uh, a pleasant surprise, you know. Uh, that we just had this like real violent sort of attack, and now there's kids running away from an alien, and they stumble upon a house, and there's people making out. Happens sometimes, and in fact, the gentleman who is making out in this case is Don Dollar's brother, uh, who's uh, got the lucky part here. <laughs> 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 Not so lucky in a moment, as we will see. Uh, right. But yeah, no, he's making out, but the woman he's making out with, she hears a noise. And in fact, this is their dialogue after that. running towards the house. Let it run. It's probably an animal. That's no animal. Somebody's <laughs> running. All right, I'll check. Glenn, be careful. 
They ask Glenn to be careful. Now, that dialogue right there is our first hint of something that becomes a little bit more amusing as we go through the movie, which is that this movie was made in Baltimore. Mm. Bodymore. Okay. And people in Baltimore have a funny accent. Oh, it's true. They do. Right? Yeah. Something is running towards the house. I can't do a Baltimore accent. <laughs> no, nah, neither can I. But, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but the, yeah, no, the Baltimore accents in this movie are as thick as a, a your average John Waters movie, which is terrific. And, in fact, you know, there's some crossover uh, between the, <laughs> the John Waters universe and the Don Dollars universe to some extent. Uh, if, if only George Stover, who I think appeared in Desperate Living, and then he later appeared on an episode of Homicide, which John Waters also appeared on. Huh. See, Connections. Wow. Now, hey, Glenn. Now, now, hold on. You had said you said the guy who played Glenn was Don Dollar's brother. Yes. Oh, see, it's funny because, like, as I was watching the film, like, first off, this guy, the Glenn, magnificent hair. Yes, terrific it, hair. Terrific hair. But I also like a real. As I'm looking at him, like, you know who he looks like a lot, and like I had to look it up on IMDb to make sure that it wasn't him. <laughs> was he looks like Terrence Mann? Really? You think so? I think so. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like like pre-Critters era, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, I, I thought he looked like Terrence Mann. And I, like, I'm like, oh, well, that's, that's sort of a big get. And, you know, it wasn't him, obviously. But <laughs> No big gets here, unfortunately. <laughs> well, there's George Stover. But... <laughs> so, Glenn immediately grabs the gun that he has next to the couch to go out and look for whatever was making that noise. And I have my notes here. That he has more guns than Johnny Dickey's house. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes outside, and uh, because I guess maybe there, he, there probably is, if he lives in the middle of the fucking woods, animals all over the place. Yeah. It's dark and spooky. Uh, and at, we see a little quick shot of the kids just watching from afar. They're kind of <laughs> hiding and watching. And he starts to head back into the house, but that's when he runs into the night beast. Oh, yeah. This part is terrific, by the way. Yeah, this this is pretty great. Because the Night Beast, up to this point, has only used uh, a laser gun. But one of the other things the Night Beast comes equipped with is some big fucking claws on his hand. Yep. And he uses these claws to reach inside Don Dollar's brother's stomach and rip whatever he finds out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, because the woman has come to the door to see what's going on, she sees that Glenn is being murdered. And uh, she starts to scream, which is a bad idea, because then the Night Beast kills her, too. It's, but it's great, though, too, because she I, I love the fact that she, like, grabs the gun, you know, and uh, she's getting ready to use it and is killed <laughs> before she even has a chance to fucking aim the thing. It's I thought I love it. I love it's it. It's a shame. It's a shame what happens there. Uh-huh. Now, uh, I uh, the first time I saw this movie, I remember this part because, like, the kids see what's happening. Right. And they beat it they run off yeah, they while hight- this is happening hightail out of there yep. in fact they hightail it back to the car with the boy the young boy getting into the driver's seat they're obviously going to drive off which probably makes a lot of sense and I was thinking okay so I guess we're going to be following these kids and, and maybe they have to like meet up with the sheriff ah. and like the action's all going to combine and we're going to get you know it's going to be almost like a uh, um, uh, inv- invaders from Mars type uh, deal with the kids and the, maybe the adults don't believe it guess what happens instead of that <laughs> <laughs> nope, zap <laughs> <laughs> So they get into the car And the Night Beast immediately uh, Shoots a laser at the car And fucking and destroys fucking it Vaporized, I love it I, love I wrote, it. goodbye kids <laughs> <laughs> 
and that's the end of uh, Don Dolder's children in this movie, unfortunately. Mm. Um, no precocious children for the whole rest of the movie, in Thank fact. goodness. So at this point, the police have gotten their posse together. Uh, you think they would have gotten more officers, but whatever. A few townspeople, like it's two police cars, townspeople, police. Uh, they're all trying to guess what caused the explosion. <laughs> really, they're just potential victims who are heading into the woods. Yeah. Uh, and they all head into the woods. Yeah, and, you know, they're, 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 there's about uh, like a two-minute window where they're heading towards the woods, and that's when the lasers start. <laughs> Yeah, there's some serious uh, laser fire in this one. Now, this is the the, the shootout scene I was talking about. Where where <laughs> this is the stormtrooper scene? Yeah, this is definitely the stormtrooper scene. And I love how there are how like I get a huge kick out of this particular laser because it has some very interesting qualities to it. Explain. Uh, well, the fact that it can shoot a car and vaporize the car and anything inside <laughs> of it, yet a stone wall. It has no effect whatsoever. Well, before we encounter that stone wall, <laughs> we <laughs> or like get... logs, like they're safe behind logs. Yeah, there are certain things that this laser cannot penetrate, but it can vaporize an entire car. <laughs> so people are getting vaporized left and right by these lasers, and yeah. also lots of them are missing. But there, there's literally just like a constant stream of laser sounds. Yeah, it's and great. it's great. It really does thin out the herd. <laughs> <laughs> And it's great. It's not just like laser, uh, like the people getting um, hit and vaporized. There's like sparks flying and small explosions. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 fucking awesome, actually. <laughs> uh, and one guy, he's. I mean, you got to give him credit. He decides that while all of his friends are getting murdered, he's gonna actually climb behind, or or kind of walk behind the alien and try to get him from behind. Mm-hmm. It was a smart idea. Uh, but Until... does not work at all. No. <laughs> uh, and he get, instead gets slashed across the face and murdered. Yeah, which is a pretty good visual effect. I liked it. Uh, the only other real competent uh, main character is Jamie. He's one of the, the gentlemen who are in the uh, woods right now, and he uh, yells out to the sheriff that, uh, that maybe it's time to get going. <laughs> I mean, listen to those lasers. Those the amazing lasers. <laughs> so, out of all, like, I think there was maybe like seven people who went into the woods. Only Jack, Lisa, and Jamie survive. Which is hilarious when you think about it. I mean, obviously, we're not given any backstory on Lisa, but the fact is that, like. A, he originally didn't want to call her because he's like, oh, she's used to desk duty. And yet she's one of the ones who survives. Exactly. Uh, so they go back to the station and they're going to wait until daytime. Because despite the fact that this movie is called Night Beast, a real large part of it takes place during the day. A big chunk of it. I love the fact that when they get back, they get back to the police department and they get a message that a man named George Michaels... <laughs> called to say that he had almost hit something. George Michaels was just driving around uh, next to the woods. <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if I could hit a night beast? You know, I don't know, whatever. That is terrific. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we learned that another reason that they're waiting till the daytime is that Bill Perkins and his son are coming, and Bill is a crack shot. Best shot. I mean, you think a police officer would be practicing his shooting every once in a while, but he's nothing compared to old Bill. Well, you know what? Those old, you know, 
those wily old men, they have uh, nothing better to do than than sit on their back porch and shoot at the kids on their lawn. So, <laughs> so uh, after the George Michael call, uh, <laughs> J- Jack and Lisa go out to check on it, and uh, when they do, they discover. Uh, a night beast (laughs) 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 who still as soon as he sees them he just starts shooting lasers Uh, actually what happens is that uh, Jack sees the night beast first and he tells Lisa to like slowly turn around and follow him but then they just turn around and run book it yeah I, you know, I love the fact that no matter like this town must be so small because (laughs) everywhere they go the night beast is right there well, I mean, they were going to investigate something that George Michael hit with his car. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> which I guess ended up being the night beast. We don't—I don't think we ever met. We ever meet George we never Michael. Never even meet him. So they jump behind this brick wall, which is a great wall. It's yeah, a terrific-looking wall. It's—it's it's a very, um, uh, like that's that's that style of wall is very prevalent in this area of the country. You know, like like where I am, like the Northeast. <laughs> Random walls all over the place. There kind of are. It, it's true. Like there, like rock walls is a big thing up here. So like you see that sort of stuff all over the place. But yeah, it's a very cool looking wall. Well, as they're hiding behind the wall, Bill Perkins and his son arrive in a truck, or like a car, or something. Uh, and <laughs> Bill is an older gentleman, and we the only thing that's kind of notable about his son is that his son is played by Don Dohler. Mm. And uh, and we'll learn more about him in just a second. No, we won't. But as they arrive, <laughs> I think uh, the the son. The first thing he says is like, "Why don't you just blow the thing's head off, Dad?" <laughs> well, I gotta and tell you, that's what I was thinking too. It's like I, I don't know why they were so like it was so important for them to get the gun out of its hand. Because <laughs> that's what Jack says. He goes, "Get the gun out of his hand and then blow its head off." Yeah, well, well just I would just say blow its head off, off. Yeah. and the gun. Maybe he suspects that there might be another head or maybe killing his head will not kill the whole body. Um, while they're having this conversation, their car gets vaporized with no one in it. <laughs> so they decide what they're going to do is they're going to continue to shoot at this creature, which they know doesn't do anything. Yeah. But it's going to distract it while Bill gets closer. Yeah, the- maybe that's why. Maybe because they've hit it a couple of times already and they know that gunfire doesn't seem to do anything to it. Right. Yeah. So th- what happens is that they're shooting from behind this wall. But Jimmy, who is Bill's son, the played by Don Dohler, he kind of gets out in the open to take some of his shots. And that was a bad idea because he gets fucking killed yep. by the Night Beast. And uh, that makes Bill very sad because his son's dead. No, it's an understandable, you know, as, as a father, you know, I can, I can appreciate that. There's something else about the Night Beast in this scene. Before, he didn't appear to be... We only really got a look, good look at his head. We didn't really... And we saw him in silhouette. But now we see that he's actually wearing clothes. Yeah. He's, he's wearing sort of like a jacket. <laughs> like a... You know what I thought the jacket looked like? It looked like the jacket that... Um, from the movie Driver with the uh, <laughs> scorpion on the back of it. The scorpion on the back. <laughs> it's a silver jacket. And I couldn't help but think of that as I was watching the movie. Like Night Beast is firing at people and Kaminsky's <laughs> playing in the background. Real human being. I was thinking of the other one. You know. And a real hero. See, the other song would have made more sense because that one's called Night Call. Thank you. Oh, that's right. And also, he's not a real human being. <laughs> or a hero. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Bill, who, again, very upset about the death of his son, he decides to suck it up, Buttercup, and then shoot the weapon out of the creature's hand, and then break down crying because he's very upset. 
hey, you know what? The fact that he could get it together enough to shoot the gun out of the thing's hand before he started breaking down to crying, uh, you know, it's good good on him. You can't knock the guy. Uh, so that's actually the, the beast decides to run off at that point because he doesn't have as much of an advantage anymore. Uh, and uh, because he actually still has just as much advantage as he had before because bullets don't do anything to him. So he could have just run up and killed mm-hmm. all of them. Yeah. And started slashing him with his, you know, his I understand his... it makes more sense to the story for him to not do that, but he really could have just done that. Well, maybe he thinks that uh, they, the humans might have more weaponry than they actually have shown at this point. Per- Who knows what he knows? Perhaps. So we go to a swimming pool. We cut to a swimming pool, uh, and we, we get introduced to the character of Bert. Bertie. Now, who's Bert in this movie? He is the mayor. The mayor of this there must be very, very little town. Or city or whatever. I, I love the fact that this town is is so small and yet still manages, like like Birdie's pool party, still manages to attract the attention of the governor. <laughs> well, I mean, it seemed like it was a big deal to Bert in this case. Yeah. Now, Bert in this movie is played by Richard Dysel, I think is uh, pronounced. And don't uh, call him Bertie. Don't don't call him Bertie. He hates that. But Richard is uh, interesting because he was a horror host. For in fact, he continues to be a horror host named Count Gore Duvall to this day. You can actually watch his stuff on YouTube, uh, and but ha- had uh, has been doing it, I guess, since the seventies. That's a really uh, good name. Yeah, it is, and yeah. he 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 looks exactly like you'd want a horror host to look. But in this movie, he's playing sort of like a primo asshole. <laughs> <laughs> he's basically playing the uh, the guy from Jaws because what happens is that he is going to be told what's happening with an alien murdering bunch of people. And he doesn't want to cancel his party with the governor because he's, I guess he thinks it's going to be good for him because of the kickbacks, probably. He, uh, he, he's, he's been told he has to evacuate the town and he's just like, fuck that. I got the fucking governor coming. Yeah. Like, and we, he also has like a female friend, his secretary, I guess, named Mary Jane. Yeah. And uh, she'll become important a little bit later. But really what we get here is that it's Jack. Jack goes to visit Bert by the pool, tells him that he's got to get in touch with the state officials and cancel the party. The, uh, uh, Bert refuses to do it. Uh, it, it. They seem to come to some sort of conclusion, but uh, the yeah, big it's, joke... It's one of those situations where it's like, I'll tell you whatever you, need, whatever you want to hear just to get you the fuck out of here. Yeah, and when yeah. Jack goes back to the police car afterwards, he says that no matter what the guy said, he's going to start evacuating the town. Right. Which, which, I mean, you know, might make some people a little upset, but... There is an alien. Yeah, there is sort of like this alien that's indiscriminately killing people. <laughs> so it might be a good idea to get people out of the town. I like the, the mindset that goes into this part. And I mean, this is the, the fact is Night Beast is really like a 50s monster movie, alien invasion throwback type movie. Yep. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it's made as a tribute to those kind of movies, but it's played entirely straight all the way through, which is what makes it so great. Mm. Um, but but it has that sort of kind of 1950s movie logic where, you know, if an alien <laughs> was murdering people with a laser gun, you think it wouldn't take a long time to get someone in, you know, some sort of national attention. Right. I mean, now, of course, we'd all go on Twitter and start tweeting about it. But you think even back in 1982, you could probably get someone on the horn. Hashtag alien invasion. Hashtag zapped my kids. Oops. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> we, uh, so, yeah, so they're, they're going to uh, evacuate the town, and Jack, he's going to meet Steven. And uh, I guess the, the, he's going to meet Steven, and they're going to look at 
one of the people's bodies that got killed in the uh, shootout the day before. Uh, this, this is actually a strange thing because it's all done in voiceover. It's obviously something that's supposed to link two scenes together, which didn't have a good link. Yeah. Um, so we get now we get introduced to Steven, and Steven is a very, very important character. And why is that? Um, it, why is he important? Yeah, why is he important? Uh, I don't know. I mean, well, other than the fact that he's played by George Stover. He's played by George Stover! Now, for those of you who don't know George Stover, he has been, at this point, especially in the last, like, ten years, he is a, sort of a low-budget acting legend. He's in tons and tons of projects, and, of course, was in a, on a, a, all of Don Doler's projects. Now, he is not a particularly strong actor mm. in, like, a traditional sense, but he has a really good look because he has that round, kind face that is perfect for playing a scientist. Yeah. Yeah, but, I, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Are you unsure? No, no, no. I'm just, I'm, a, I'm agreeing with you. Yes. Okay. So we have Jack and Steven, and they're going through the woods looking for this guy's body, but they, they, uh, they can't find it. They find like burned remains on the ground. Yeah, and there's some blood there, and or he says there's blood there. <laughs> <laughs> so they're wondering if maybe the the body ended up getting dragged away, since there's no. Now, of course, everyone who got zapped ended up being. Uh, incinerated, but this was the guy I think who came up behind the creature. So his yeah, body this, should this still is be. the guy who got slashed in the face. And so they decide that that the the body was probably dragged away. And as they're about to head back to the car, they run into a very other important character. I, you know, I get such a kick out of the fact that this guy was well, Drago, uh, <laughs> which the name in and of itself is great. Drago, but, yeah. But the, like the fact that this character exists in the film is is kind of hilarious because there's already an antagonist. So I love the fact that now there's another antagonist. Again, yeah. this movie is all about forward propulsion, right? So right. when the aliens is not when the alien is not killing people, you have to have something else going on. So they have another a guy right out of like a 1960s biker movie show up, and he's going to be the other person who's going to be killing people. Yeah. So Drago is an asshole. Yeah. He's a complete fucking prick, and I have no idea why Jack puts up with him at all. Yeah. In in 2015 America, I'll tell you, this guy would not be would be on the receiving end of a lot of beatings with phone books and whatnot. <laughs> Especially is when they have. Thing? Wait, hold on. Is that a thing? Beating somebody with a phone book? Yeah, absolutely. You don't oh. know that? Oh, I never never heard of that. I think what you're supposed to do is you put the phone book like. Uh, you either like hit them with the phone book or put the phone book next to their face and then punch the phone book. Ah, um, so it doesn't leave a mark. Yeah, it's all about not leaving marks. It's like it's like beating a guy with a bag full of Valencia oranges. That's exactly a sweet <laughs> Valencia oranges. <laughs> so uh, not to not to make light of Lisa. <laughs> Abusive behavior. Uh, so they have a little conversation by they, I mean, Drago and Jack. And it ends with Drago saying this to the sheriff. Stay out of my way, Drago. I'm in no mood for your crap. You know what I say, sheriff? Go to hell. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. That's too good for you. Clear out. Oh, sure thing, Mr. Sheriff. Sir. Oh, oh. say hi to that cute little girl deputy of yours. Hey, I... I bet she's really something in the sack, huh? I uh, I kept uh, quite a bit of that dialogue so you get a real sense of how much of a fucking dick uh, Drago is. Steven follows that up by saying, 
that scum, you want to lock him up. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to stink up my cell. <laughs> Jack says he doesn't want to stink up the cell. Now, what I, what I don't understand is why the hell he's on a motorcycle in the middle of the woods. <laughs> he's, he, he, again, you talk about how small this town must be. Yeah. It, it literally must be like a block because people run into each other all the time. It doesn't seem to be that hard. Like later, Jamie ends up looking for Drago. He finds him in like two minutes. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's it's so wild too because like I I grew up in in what would be considered a small town, and uh, I, man, you know, I never ran into people like this. It's like, Did you used to suck on chili dogs. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Outside the Tasty Freeze. It's the second episode in a row we made that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my! Anyway, I by the way, I also I also grew up in a very very small town in a very small province. Yeah. Uh, so I can totally relate to all of the actions that take place in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they get a, a message on the radio from Jamie, uh, saying that they found Ben Cooper and he's been half eaten. Uh, so I guess the creature is also eating its his victims. Hey, man's uh, which... got man's got to eat. Maybe he's just trying it out just to see, like, what do these things taste like? Because maybe he's hunting the humans for sport. You know, and, uh, and and he only ate, ate half the body, so he probably didn't really enjoy it too much. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he just got full. Or maybe he got full. Uh, which brings us to an autopsy room, or like a hospital room. I'm a little confused about what this place is, because we get introduced to like a doctor. Yeah, it's, it seems like it's a facility, but at the same time, it's somebody's house. It's just somebody's house. Yeah. Uh, so who knows? Anyway, we get introduced to Ruth, who's sort of a doctor-type character, friend of Stevens. Um, and uh, Jack, at this point, I guess, has already um, emptied out most of the town, but he's asking Ruth to stick around for a while. Uh, and in fact, Ruth mentions that her husband is, and her have been asked to the governor's party. Jack isn't happy about it. No, because that's, that's saying a whole lot if... if minutes essentially after being told that he needs to cancel the party and clear out <laughs> he's now calling people and being like hey you coming to the party you know right so the, we're, you basically are sending off characters the to do what they need to do in the next part of the movie ruth and steven are going to stay there jamie is helping clear out this town but he wants to stop and warn his girlfriend susie and uh and actually um jack is really surprised that this is his girlfriend because she's known to be Drago's girl. Whoa. Uh-oh, they've been seeing each other. <laughs> that, uh, what I should say, Drago's old lady, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we know that it's Drago's girl because we immediately go to her house where Drago is smacking the shit out of her. Um, and uh, he says to her, he says a really interesting thing to her. He goes that you're not good enough for Jamie because he has class, which is an oddly complimentary thing to say. <laughs> but uh, he rips her shirt, and then he runs off on his bike um, after giving her uh, quite a beating, and uh, that is her cue to get undressed. There's something that really kind of silly that happens here, and I want I want to get your kind of take on it. So she gets undressed, and when I say undressed, she, like, Gets naked. Yeah, she gets completely naked, which so, was unnecessary. Which was unnecessary for the character, but necessary for the movie right. because of those big three Bs that we was talking about. Uh, the blood and the beast and the boobs. Right. Um, because we already have blood and beast. This is the first boobs. See, I thought you were saying the boobs, the butt, and the bush. Mm, yes, well, <laughs> <laughs> it is the early 80s. Uh-huh. Um, so she gets totally naked, and at that point, Jack and Jamie arrive in, uh, in the police car, uh, and actually Drago is watching them from afar as well. Jamie gets out of the car, goes inside. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah, because he goes inside and then he comes back out and says that that she's gonna be out in a bit, and then they take off for some reason. They take off. They say that she's gonna be like ready in a minute. Yeah, and and then Jack's like, oh good, and then they just drive off. Right, and then they and cut then... back to her and she's still in the house getting getting packed naked. She's still naked. So, so when he walked in there, I guess she was still naked. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but then immediately puts on uh, jeans and a shirt. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I guess she was naked. Uh, and in fact, this part, when we cut back to her, it's obviously just a continuation of the previous part that we were seeing that's been interrupted, uh, in a way that probably didn't make a lot of sense. (laughs) So she gets, she throws literally three things into a suitcase, and as she starts to leave, Drago attacks. That son of a bitch. And then he strangles her to death, though it is at first a little difficult to understand what's happening because it, it's sort of just focusing on him. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I mean, we see him strangling her now and you don't realize, like, I mean, obviously he's got like a hurt look on his face. Like, what did I just do? But, you know, you don't know if that just means that, like, she's laying there hurt or if she's actually dead. And, of course, we learn soon enough what actually happened. I'm gonna you, go out. Well, I was gonna say you just fucking said it, so <laughs> I, I I I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm just gonna say Drago, kind of a dick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He actually has no redeeming qualities at all. No, none, none. What? Which is pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we were talking about how the governor had to shut down his party. Well, we're gonna go to that party right now. Uh, well, what I should say is the mayor had to shut down his party. Um, I get a huge kick out of this because, like, the governor shows up at the at the party and he says to him, he goes, oh, that the town seems deserted. And his reasoning behind that is so <laughs> fucking good. He goes, oh, it's Saturday morning. Everybody's probably still asleep, you know. But, yeah. Like, how early on a Saturday morning is this pool party taking place? <laughs> it's just that they were driving through the area very early. Uh-huh. They've been just hanging out at his house for, like, six hours. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so the, the governor is there, uh, the party is in full swing. In fact, the governor is there with his aide, Mark Phillips, who (laughs) they, I guess, I don't know why they introduced this character at at all. Uh, he's, I guess he's the governor's protector, uh, and make sure that the governor drinks his, his trademark vodka and water (laughs) mild. (laughs) Yeah. And Mary Jane has a funny line here when, um, uh, when Mark mentions that he never drinks on the job. Mary uh, Jane says, well, we always drink on the job. <laughs> but then Jack arrives, and he is not having any of this nonsense. He's not much of a uh, a fun character, this Jack. Well, maybe it's because all of the people in his town are getting murdered. I was going to say, it might have something to do with the crisis on hand. but yeah. <laughs> So uh, he tries to reason with uh, the mayor, who tries to turn his arrival into... Like a positive, like introducing him to the governor, <laughs> telling him he's going to vote for him and stuff like that. Uh, and then Jamie, who's watching from uh, from a little ways away, he's had enough of this shit, and he shoots his pistol into the air uh, to uh, get everyone's attention. His pistol? Oh, it's uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> he Jack's. Lisa's pistol. <laughs> Lisa's pistol. That's right. Cause he even <laughs> says so afterwards. That's great. He he shoots her gun into the air uh, and tells everyone there that there's a poison gas leak. From the old mines. And uh, and that makes everyone panic immediately and run off. Which it would... I mean, I'd run off too. Yeah. Poison gas. Um, it's almost no as scary as an gas. alien. I ain't fucking with no poison gas. The, this, the odd thing is what the governor's reaction is to this. Because he immediately interprets this 
as the mayor lied to him about why the streets were deserted, which is true. But th- they're only discovering the poison gas thing right now, so maybe he wasn't necessarily trying to trick him. <laughs> but this is what the governor says to uh, the mayor. So that's why the streets were deserted. You lied to me, you son of a bitch. You knew about this all along. Believe me, you're going to regret this. Come along, Governor. We must get you to safety. <laughs> well, believe me, we are going to... Believe me! Believe me, you're going to regret this. Jack and the uh, and Lisa and Jamie, they're, they're actually kind of congratulating each other for a job well done of getting everyone out of the party. Uh, Bert is very upset about how everything went down. And him and Mary Jane decide they're going to drown their sorrows, and we'll get back to them a little later. Uh, while that's happening, Ruth and Stephen, back at that weird makeshift hospital, they're doing an autopsy, and then a, a guy gets brought in with an injury. Yeah, this is kind of a weird scene, but I kind of yeah. But I, but at the same time, I also kind of loved it. It's uh, Krebs. Krebs gets brought in. <laughs> yeah, Krebs. I don't know who Krebs is, but they seem to know who he is. Yeah. So this guy gets brought in, uh, and uh, they put him, I guess, in another room. And as he's brought in, he's asking his friend for whiskey. Uh, So this friend goes out to the parking lot to his car to get whiskey from the backseat of his car. And uh, unfortunately, that's when the creature decides to attack, (laughs) the night beast creature. Yeah, chops the dude's arm right off. Chops his arm off, and the arm actually looks really good. Yeah, it's a really good effect. So they kill that guy. (laughs) Uh, and I guess, uh, yeah, two other guys come out too, and the creature slashes the hell out of them and kills them as well. Uh, Ruth, this upsets her very much. She calls the sheriff. The sheriff is still out, but Jamie answers, and uh, he tells uh, Ruth and Stephen to hide until he gets over on his dirt bike. This, this is pretty funny. Like, this is another little moment where my autocorrect uh, made a very, a very <laughs> funny correction on me. Uh, so I write, Jamie can get there faster on his dirt bike, was what it was supposed to say, but it autocorrected dirt bike to diatribe. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm just imagining him, him like flying through the air, just yelling. <laughs> <laughs> so we get uh, a couple of shots of dirt bike action of Jamie rushing over. Yeah. Uh, and uh, while this is happening, Ruth and Steven decide to hide in the basement of what is obviously not a hospital because it's just a fucking regular basement right. with like a with like a washer dryer down there. Which is very important that there's a washer dryer down there. Yes, it shall be in just a second. Yeah. When they get downstairs, they suddenly remember that Krebs is still upstairs and was given a sedative. So they're like, "Oh, I hope he's okay." <laughs> well, I know they wanted to go check him, but and and uh, doesn't. Steven. Yeah, doesn't Steven go and, like, peek out the door, or is that a different moment? No, it's, it's here, yeah. yeah. Steven actually goes up to take a look. He promises Ruth that he'll be careful. He opens the door, and it's funny because as soon as he opens it, the creature is staring, like, from how it's edited, it looks like the creature is staring right, right at, at him. Right at him, yeah. And he goes, runs back into the basement, and he goes, it's still up there. I don't think it saw me. <laughs> I mean, it must have been right in front of him. <laughs> and not only did it look like that, it probably was the case because the creature immediately destroys the door to the basement. And I got to tell you, the, the, the door being demolished scene <laughs> is one of my favorite moments in the entire film where there's just bits of, you know, and it's not even like door wood either. It's like, uh, um, what are they? Plywood, like little pieces of it, not, right? Not plywood. Uh, God, I forget what they call them. But anyway, it's like bits of like uh, like shingles. That's the word I'm looking for. Oh, okay, yeah. right. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> just just flying down the stairs. I loved it. I'm like, that doesn't look like a door. So at this point, the creature goes into the basement while Steven and Ruth are hiding. They're in a lot of trouble because there's a creature that's been killing everybody. But Steven has a plan. And this is a very interesting plan, especially because he decides not to tell Ruth what his plan is before jumping into action with it. Right. So this is what his plan is. In fact, why don't you tell us what the plan is? All right. Mo? So he so he runs over. Here's the crazy thing. So so <laughs> the alien comes down into the basement. Okay. Um. And so so Stephen's plan is to run. I'm assuming past where the alien is because he would have had to have because the basement didn't seem all that big. Uh, past where the alien is, next to the stairs where the washing machine is. He rips the wire directly out of the washing machine. Yeah. Uh-huh. Fra- phrase the end, you know, of the wire uh, and lays it on the ground. Then he fills a bucket full of water a couple of times <laughs> to create a nice puddle and then stands there and waits for the alien to come after him. Ruth, by the way, still hiding this entire time. Yeah, still hiding. Well, she's still hiding. Uh, yeah, and until the point where he's ready to plug it in, and then she sort of magically shows up where where he is. She sort of like runs past him, but it must be like he his expectation must be Ruth will see what I'm doing, recognize that if she's still standing in this water, she's going to get electrocuted to death, right? And will run behind me. Uh, so yeah, so his plan actually goes off without a hitch. He plugs in the uh, plug, and uh, it ends up uh, electrocuting the creature. For the most absurd plan in human history, it actually goes off without a problem. That's it, with without a hitch. Without a hitch. But it it doesn't kill the creature. No, though it makes the creature after being electrocuted run upstairs and run away. Yeah, but it works. I guess. I guess. And uh, at just at that moment, Jamie arrives on his dirt bike a little later than probably they would have hoped. <laughs> Though it's probably a good thing he showed up later, because otherwise he'd almost certainly be dead as well. Yeah, exactly, because he would have been showing up right as the alien was running out the it was door. A, it was amazing how quickly Jamie decided, he's like, I'll be right over, considering it's almost his certain death if he was to arrive. Yeah. Um, so uh, as he arrives, Ruth uh, runs out the door. We get to hear a little bit of dialogue like this. Jamie, thank God you're here. The thing dragged Wilton away. I think he was dead. His arm was cut off. We, we tried to clean up out here, but we've been nervous wrecked. We better get these other bodies inside. That's right. They may lure the thing back here. <laughs> you get to hear some of the audio editing there. Yeah. Some of it's a little too tight. <laughs> His arm was cut off. It, rem- uh, it reminds it- me of uh, early episodes of uh, Drunk on VHS where I, just, where, I, <laughs> where I cut out every single pause. <laughs> So it just it just runs on in this manic sort of fashion. <laughs> it's like the whole episode is a single a single uh, <laughs> sentence, giant <laughs> run-on sentence. So they decide they're going to drag the bodies that are outside inside because they have come up with the idea that the creature is actually he's actually coming towards where the bodies are. I guess to eat them. I guess it, it lures him to the place. Uh, I, I don't really understand why they want to bring the bodies inside in that case, but I guess it's since they're leaving there, it's okay. Uh, at that point, a, another car pulls up, and two men, they bring Susie's body inside. Tisk. Tisk. And when they found her, she was barely alive, and that's because she's dead. 
<laughs> As you can imagine, remember that Susie was Jamie's girlfriend, and he is very, very upset by the fact that his girlfriend's been murdered, and he knows who did it because it was she was strangled and not zapped or slashed. He knows Drago was responsible. Yeah. So he. So I love. I. So so we get we get a cut over to to Drago at this point because Jamie obviously flies off on his bike, but uh, we get a, a, a cut to to Drago and I forget what he's doing. He's just kind of like sitting. I <laughs> think he's just like standing, yeah. smoking, or drinking a beer. Right. 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 And then and then just out of nowhere, Jamie comes, <laughs> you know, right up behind him, and this whole fight breaks out. But I like like as you had mentioned before, how like he finds him like that, like it's. No problem at all. He's like, I know exactly where he's going to be. <laughs> and what happens when he arrives? Yeah, they fight and beat each other up. They beat the shit out of each other. Now, here's the part that I don't understand. And, and you know, I, I mean, I guess, I guess it sort of almost makes sense later in the film, but it doesn't make sense here. He beats the shit out of him and then just leaves. <laughs> you know, like he doesn't detain him for the cops because he knows he's a murderer. And he doesn't kill him because he murdered her, his girlfriend. You know, he just beats him up and leaves. Yes, that is a very strange decision for someone who is obviously a murderer. Yeah. And also probably responsible for all sorts of other crimes as well. Probably. <laughs> but uh, but in, in the long run, getting your ass beat is sort of a small price to pay for manslaughter. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's just how things work in small towns. Yes. <laughs> Boys will be boys. Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, while this is happening, uh, we haven't seen Jack and Lisa for a while. They're driving along on the road when they see something, and it's a corpse. <laughs> uh, they get out of the car to investigate, and it's uh, they see a dude on the uh, street, and his stomach has been ripped open. Yep. And there's guts and stuff, and it's pretty gross, which is pretty great. <laughs> and you might think that like this is going to be like a clue, this is going to lead us to something, but it doesn't need to at all because suddenly Night Beast <laughs> is there, right there. <laughs> they make the interesting decision to shoot at him when they know that that does nothing. <laughs> but uh, then they do what probably they should have done in the first place, and they run into the woods or the forest or whatever. Yeah. Um, I I like how this movie. Again, it, how how seriously they play it, how seriously the threat of this creature is, because if you run into it, you're basically dead, because they at this point have no idea what to do to even hurt it. Right. I mean, we know that Steven uh, managed to electrocute it, but they don't know that at this point, so they literally have nothing they can do except run away. Yeah, and, and, and it's great, too, because it makes me wonder about the competency of Jack as a cop, because, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're running off, and Jack immediately falls down a hill. Or not, not, not immediately, but, you know, like, he he falls off of the side of a hill, you know, and grabs a, a tree branch and then proceeds to fall the rest of the way down the hill. And Look, Jack I, is... Keep going, Lisa, you know. Jack is stupid like a fox. He kind of As is. we'll find out momentarily. Because, yeah, he almost falls into a quarry, like, immediately after running into the woods. Yeah. Tells Lisa to go off without him, which is also interesting because he runs back into her just a moment later. Almost immediately. Uh... And uh, he fucks up his leg in the process. Yeah. And I'm going to say he fucks up his leg in quotation marks because I think maybe Jack was, uh, you know, he decided that maybe he needed a little nursing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. <laughs> <clears throat> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, he runs into Lisa again. 
Uh, I guess the whole concern about the fucking car, uh, sorry, the concern about the Night Beast is, I guess they've run far enough away or something. <laughs> uh, so he wants to go to the doctor to check on his leg, but she suggests, because she lives closer than the hospital, which, again, the hospital should be empty because they've cleared out the entire town, but whatever. Uh, I guess they want to go to the doctor's house, the one, that, like, Ruth's house. Yeah. But she decides that he should just go to her place instead. So they go back to her place. And she starts to take off his pants <laughs> because she wants to get a look at his cut. And this is how this part goes. Hey, wait a minute. What are you doing? I've got to see the injury if I'm going to patch it up. Yeah, I know, but I... Are you embarrassed, Jack? No, of course not. Good, let's get this pants off. <laughs> that sound he makes at the end. Oh. <laughs> so she gets some alcohol and cotton and she bandages his leg. Um, and, uh, then she decides that she's going to take a shower because apparently they haven't slept in a few days and she's probably all sweaty. And so she starts to get undressed in front of him. Yeah. Now, remember, Jack is laying on the bed or sitting on the bed in his underwear. Uh, and, uh, with, with just his bandage on his leg, she starts to undress in front of him. So our friend Jack is boned up to the extreme. <laughs> He has a pant full of bone at that time. Yeah, and yet he manages to fall asleep. He falls asleep in seconds yeah. as she goes to get a shower and wakes up uh, who knows how long later. I'm guessing very soon since she's still wearing a towel. Uh, and she's like, uh, are you feeling better? <laughs> Which would be funny if it was like he was asleep for like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. I was asleep. <sighs> and then Jack decides to partake in the classic uh, – man-woman uh, seduction technique of telling her to not get dressed. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds something like this. Well, I guess I better get dressed now, huh? No. <laughs> you know you're a very attractive girl, Lisa. <laughs> I guess I never really noticed before. Until you showed me I your tits. <laughs> I'm willing to give it a chance now. Jesus. So this part on the commentary is really hilarious because this was not supposed to be like a nude scene. Uh -huh. um, and uh, at this point, I think Don had never shot a nude scene before. He, he didn't actually shoot that scene earlier in the movie. Uh -huh. So and this this woman wasn't an actress. She was a hairdresser. Ooh. So so the idea of convincing her at this point, now that she's in the movie, that she had to do a nude scene. That's basically, you know what they say, like Lloyd Kaufman always says that you should always shoot your nude scenes first because then the actress can't uh, back out of it afterwards. Right. Uh, which is such a scummy thing to even <laughs> say out loud. So they had the actor who played Jack, Tom Griffith, he had to convince this woman that she should do a nude scene and have a sex scene with him. Jesus. And Which is especially, especially funny because it doesn't make any sense that they should have a No, sex it scene. doesn't, and it's super fucking awkward. It's very awkward yeah. because, like, he's very – I mean, it's, it, it's a combination of a lot of different things because they both look awkward, and we get the shot of both of them undressing, like, and they're, it's like a single shot of just them. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's almost like a parody of sex scenes <laughs> to some extent. Um, <laughs> I think he – he goes, can I get this shirt off? And she goes, if I can take this towel off. <laughs> and then they embrace. They're kind of like just hugging each other for an uncomfortably long amount of time. <laughs> so they fuck, uh, if that's the words I would use. That's the uh, words I would use. 
And uh, while they're doing that, Mary Jane and Bert are getting uh, shit-faced. Yeah, why not, uh, you know? Well, they're supposed to be leaving town. That's why not. But instead of doing that, they're deciding to just uh, drink their asses off. Um, and as they're... Um, they're actually having like a conversation about writing the governor like a letter of apology. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, basically, Bert is almost comatose from drinking so much, and Mary Jane is just kind of blasted. And there's a knock on the door, and it's Stephen, the scientist. Uh, and he seems upset that they're both still there, which is surprising because why else did he knock on the door? Well, I think it, it hasn't he been like combing the town to make. Yeah, I guess that's his job yeah. right now is <laughs> to knock on everyone's door to make sure no one is there, yeah. which I mean, you know, good on Steven. He's uh, he I guess again, I guess this is a very small town. Well, and he's very lucky because it seems like every place everyone goes, the Night Beast is there. So he has been very lucky so far in that he's been knocking on all these people's doors and the Night Beast hasn't shown up to any of them yet. That that's true. Stephen has a lot of luck up until a certain point. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so uh, Mary Jane thinks that they should all have a little party, but Stephen is very serious because he's a science man, and he instead calls Jack at the sheriff's office, and Jack tells Stephen to go back uh, with Ruth and pick up all the uh, sorry and pack up all the equipment, all the medical equipment, and then Jack and Lisa will come and and help them uh, back to the sheriff's office. Yeah, since they're both drunk. <clears throat> Uh, so Stephen tells Mary Jane to stay in the house until Jack gets there, which ends up he's actually murdering her by saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so this part's really strange. So Stephen leaves. They hear a crash in the basement, they being um, um, Mary Jane. Mary Jane, really, and Bert is still kind of out of it. Yeah. She, th- she thinks it's still Stephen. For some reason, he's downstairs in their house. She investigates, opens a door. <laughs> she gets... And th- and the Night Beast is there. Yeah, she's attacked by the Night Beast. I don't know how he got into the house, but he's there. Uh, and he's and he um, uh, rips... Oh, wait, what is he? Oh, no, we don't see what he does to her. Yeah, not yet, not yet. We just hear her scream, yep. and the screaming wakes up Bert, who then goes downstairs and encounters the Night Beast as well. Right. And in the greatest moment, possibly in the history of cinema, <laughs> the Night Beast grabs Bert's head... And he rips his fucking head off. <laughs> and let's just say, look, let's be totally honest. It's not the most convincing fake head in the world, mostly because its skin is gray instead of skin colored. Yeah. But it's awesome. It is a great moment. I love, I love it so I, much. I have, I love I have it. a big thing for decapitations in film. I don't mm-hmm. know why. I just get such a kick out of them. And, I just love the, yeah. the simplistic nature of it, which is just... Grab his head, rip, rip it, it off, off his shoulders, yeah. <laughs> and then just toss it aside. <laughs> <laughs> so then Jack and Lisa again arrive way too late, <laughs> and they're searching the house for Bert and Mary Jane. Um, Lisa, they split up, which at this point seems like the worst idea, but it works out for him. Jack goes downstairs and finds their body. Uh, they, he he uh, tries to keep Lisa from seeing it, and they just get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Well, not yet. Oh, don't they? Oh, wait, yeah, yeah, they do because he makes the call back from the police. Yeah, yeah. So he goes back to the office, yeah. to, to the to police office, and he's on the phone trying to find. He's re- trying to get help, which probably should have been the first thing. Maybe instead of fucking Lisa, you should have done that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what he discovers, like he thought that the mayor had actually already tried to get some further help for them, but what he discovers here 
is that that didn't happen, and this is how he voices his frustration, which might be my favorite dialogue in the movie. Wicker never even called the state. They don't even know we have a bad situation here. Damn. <laughs> they don't even know we have a bad situation here. Damn. <laughs> so, now, shit has gotten too bad. It's just, it's gotten way too far for Jack, and he's going to suggest that everybody leaves Except for him, he's going to wait for, like, I don't know, like, the, um, the, the, the National Guard or something to arrive. Yeah. Um, but they're all, they're all really hesitant. They don't want to leave without him. Uh, and that's when Jamie, who, I, again, I don't understand what Jamie's job is. Yeah, they, yeah, they never really explain it. <laughs> Everything okay? Having some strange vapes over there, Mo? Yeah, they're pretty normal. <laughs> so Jamie, he comes up with this brilliant idea. Which is that because we know that electricity has an effect. Again, this actually all this fits together. This is why I like this movie. Yeah. Is, is like there's so there's a forward propulsion and all the pieces kind of fit. Yeah. So because we know that electricity works against it, they're going to go to the local power station. Um, not not with uh, uh, Robert. Uh, fuck. Shit. Robert Palmer. That's right, right? <laughs> Wasn't he in Power Station? I, I don't know. I hope I'm right. Uh, they're going to go to the local power station and get like a big battery or something, a coil. That's what they call it. And they're going to hook it up back at this place because they know that the bodies at the, sorry, at back at the hospital because they know the bodies are drawing the creature there. And then they're going to zap him. Right? Yes. That is. And the even though that seems like a really like difficult and ridiculous plan, everyone says, that's brilliant. Let's do that. Remember that the National Guard are coming? <laughs> Or somebody's coming, and they could just leave. And that probably would be the best thing for everybody to do. Right. But they don't. So also, by the way, there, we, we, we haven't forgotten about Drago. He, of course, is going to <laughs> be back. <laughs> so they go to the power station to get this coil. Uh, and they do this thing where they're trying to break into it. And there's a flimsy door in front of them. They can't get inside. And they're just kind of like, for a good like five minutes straight, they're kind of, of yanking on the door while Lisa stands watch. And while they're doing this, Drago shows up, and he wrestles Lisa to the ground. I don't know what Drago's co- trying to accomplish in this scene. Uh, who knows what Drago's trying to accomplish in any scene? He's just that guy plays by his own rules. Obviously. He really does. Uh, so he beats the shit out of Lisa, but she ends up kneeing him in the crotch, which makes him yelp. That yelp gets Jack's attention, and he goes to check on the noise. But uh, that leads to him then fighting with Drago, who punches him in the face and steals his gun, which is really bad. <laughs> So now Jack's on the ground, Drago has his gun, he points his gun at Jack, and what happens? Uh, Jamie shoots him. Jamie shoots him. Jamie is a hero. Jamie, by the way, the most capable person in this movie by about a thousand percent. Uh, Jamie, the one who should have killed him earlier in the film. Yes, Just saying. <laughs> well, if he had murdered him earlier yeah, in the exactly. film. Yeah, exactly. At least he's justified in killing him now. <laughs> Uh, so Lisa's okay, Jack's okay, Drago's dead. Uh, Ruth comes out and and makes Lisa change into street clothes for some reason. <laughs> uh, and so uh, that was all so that they could get that coil. Everybody heads back to the hospital. They have the coil. Mm-hmm. We don't really know what a coil is, so the movie helpfully explains it to us. That son of a bitch is heavy. What does a coil do? It's like a huge battery. It stores an electrical charge. Yeah, the sucker goes at 30,000 volts. Once you charge it up, you run lines from it. Anything touches the wires, that. Ah, you're going to electrocute the creature. We have. Well, it's worth a shot. Ruth, where's 
the power box. Down in the basement. I'll show you. I'll show you. Ruth is going to go down in the basement, hook up this coil to the power box. They're going to run lines across like the trees, and then they're going to somehow lure the creature into these lines, turn on the power, and electrocute it. Yeah. That, that's now, a pretty convoluted plan. I mean, to, to be honest, like, like you, you, there's a lot of shit that has to go absolutely right for this thing to work. I think, and this is just my idea, why won't they just? Why don't they just instead of waiting for the creature to arrive and then plugging in the power? Why don't they just turn on the power and have that thing always electrocuting right. whatever hits that thing, and then just try to get the creature into it? Well, that's what I would have. Instead of having like the Doc Brown, you know, yeah. <laughs> strike of midnight <laughs> with the electricity, uh, but maybe who, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know how that would necessarily work. No, um, so there are a couple of extra characters around. You might remember that Stephen is there as well. Uh, Lisa offers Stephen a gun, and I really like this exchange. You ever use a gun, Stephen? Shotgun. Good, I've got one for you. Terrific. <laughs> 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 Terrific. <laughs> so uh, Stephen goes off with a shotgun into the woods for I don't really know what reason. I, I guess it's sort of the idea is they're trying to at least find out where the Night Beast is to lure him to this place, but a single person with a gun seems like that would be incredibly dangerous. I kind of love like him in his white lab coat and a shotgun. Now, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and walking by himself in the woods. yeah. yeah. At this point, every once in a while, they cut to this character we've never seen before, this mustached character, who is also walking through the woods. This character is a remnant of the first sh shooting of Night Beast from 1979 uh, that never got finished and doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the creature does manage to kill uh, this mustache guy by slapping him with editing. <laughs> so yeah, the, so the Night Beast shows up. And in fact, he shows up and grabs Steven immediately by the head and ends up yanking at his he head and throwing him into the darkness, killing him, which is very sad because Steven was one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Mustache guy tries to shoot at the character uh, and he gets, a, he gets killed by being slapped. Is that the guy who, who tries to do like the fancy roll and it doesn't work? Yes, yeah, okay. I believe that's the case. Right. So the rest of the characters in the movie all run behind the wires. <laughs> so I guess, you know... Steven and the mustache guy, they were really just, like, bait. <laughs> so they run behind the wires. The creature gets closer and closer while Jack and Lisa are shooting simultaneously at it. Of course, it doesn't have any effect. What I don't understand is why, you know, what, what doesn't make any sense to me is that this is a creature of seeming intelligence, mm -hmm. you know, and yet he decides to walk through the wires instead of just walking around the trees. Yeah, but just wires. Uh, I mean, I think the idea is that the wires are supposed to be stretched a little bit further than we probably think. Yeah. Though it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily look like that. No. So the creature does walk into the wires. Yeah. But in doing so, he's pulling the wires loose. Like, he's going to be pulling it from the power box. Right. So Jamie has to hold on to the wires in order to stop that from happening. He yells at Ruth to hit the power which ends up electrocuting Jamie to death immediately. Yeah. And in fact, he his corpse falls down. And he's just and, charred uh, to a crisp. On the, on the commentary, uh, George Stover mentions how it's kind of strange that his entire body gets burnt to a crisp, except to, for his eyeballs, which are still <laughs> perfectly intact on the ground. 
But they look good. They do. So that's look the main good, thing. Yeah. And in the process of Jamie getting electrocuted, the creature also gets electrocuted and <laughs> explodes. Well, yeah. I mean, that makes makes sense. Makes sense to me. So they uh, their plan, which by the way was a very bad plan. It uh, ended up working in terms of killing the characters, but in the process, it also killed a lot of our other characters. <laughs> uh, in fact, the only ones who survive, I think, are Ruth, uh, Jack, and Lisa. No, they're, uh, Ruth, they're the important ones. So uh, Jack and Lisa, they embrace. And the, with, the, with the creature dead, with the danger finally finished, with all of their friends murdered, uh, and the camera slowly pans up to the sky, to the stars... You got to keep watching those skies uh-huh. because you don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, they don't tease a necessarily a, a sequel or anything <laughs> like that. But but we do know that we are no longer alone in the universe. There are thousands of night beasts out there just waiting to run. <laughs> thousands of night beasts. <laughs> we, I mean, as you, this is the end of the movie, by the way. It then goes right into the closing credits. It's amazing how little we learn about night, the night beast and where he comes from or anything like that. I asked you like to come up with some sort of theory at the beginning, just because how refreshing it is to not have to think about that right. <laughs> during the movie. Yeah. It, it, he's not even like as much as like as like the predator or anything like that, where you get some sort of like background or or at least a suggestion of a background. Yeah, there's not here. He might as well be like a slasher movie type guy. Yeah, it, or a it really boogeyman. it could have just as easily been replaced with a Michael Myers type thing, <laughs> who can only be killed through electricity. <laughs> uh, so uh, during the closing credits, we uh, get some of the closing theme music. And again, uh, we didn't really talk about the music during the movie itself. It's 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 good actually. It's actually really diverse. I don't know how much of it is library and how much uh, was actually composed, but I believe J.J. Abrams was only like 16 when he made this movie and was like mailing tapes of music to Don Dohler. Uh, I guess he was a fan of the Cinemagic uh, magazine that Don Dohler had done years before. Here, here's what some of that music sounds like. Very kind of synthy, as you would imagine. Yeah. Oh, that's enough of that, I think. It's a, it's kind of reminiscent of, of like a John Carpenter style music. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And I mean, it, it again, good stuff. That's the end of Night Beast, which is a tight little number all around. I think the whole thing is only about 80 minutes. It never stops. There's always shit happening. It's incredibly satisfying to watch because like every like five or ten minutes, either there's a little bit of nudity or someone gets killed in a pretty impressive way or there's like a laser beam fight. Uh, and, and it just means it makes for a very fun, entertaining experience that honestly, considering that the resources that Don Dollar had when he was making this are very comparative to the resources that uh, low-budget filmmakers that we cover on this show have today. Yeah. If anything, they have a bit of an easier time because he had to edit on like a deck, like a, 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 a one where you actually had to, edit to slice the film yeah. because he was shooting on 16 millimeter. He actually was dealing with a lot more difficulties, uh, like even like trying to, to record sound with that. I mean, there's just a whole other pain in the ass compared to what people have today. So what I'm trying to say with that is if you're not making a movie – as interesting and as, uh, as as good as Night Beast, then you're doing it wrong. 
you should be looking at this movie as an inspiration for what you should be trying to do because it doesn't try to do too much. It has an incredibly simple story. Yeah. And even though the story itself is a little bit silly sometimes, it has you know, it has a beginning, it has a middle, all the characters are moving towards this place where they're going to come to a final confrontation. That confrontation ends with a big explosion and then it's over. And you know, and then it doesn't kind of stand around and and uh ponder what you just saw too much. It, it you know it's not that you necessarily love all the characters. It's not necessarily that uh, every single bit of it is technically adept, but it's a very satisfying movie, and it's satisfying in a, in a way that almost none of the movies we cover on this show are. Yes, very true. And it, I mean, there's nothing particularly special about the look of the movie. The direction is pretty workmanlike. I mean, Don Dolor, he I don't think he really loved directing movies anyway, which is why he, he would pass it over in the sort of second stage of his filmmaking career. But uh, and, and it's all kind of flat, the photography and the lighting is. So this isn't kind of um, incredibly high-quality filmmaking, but this is someone who has an enthusiasm for uh, special effects and for and, and sort of the knowledge of what people want to see on film almost kind of like an innate knowledge of what is entertaining to see and how to piece it together and i mean the uh, we talk about accomplishment this is a massive accomplishment huge and when you see how it was done it's it really is incredible like i mean so much of it is literally shot in his backyard like all the pool stuff is shot there a lot of the woods stuff is shot there just in his backyard uh and i mean it it I, i do have to say watching this then watching the documentary and then listening to the commentary, it's a very kind of bittersweet thing because this is such a man who was so kind of soft-spoken and had no ego about what he was doing. Um, and, and I mean, I think he was proud of his work, but he certainly recognized his limitations. And uh, for those who haven't seen the documentary, it ends uh, with him being diagnosed with cancer and then, I mean, literally just a few months later passing away. Mm. Uh, there's, there's actually this final sequence there's an interview where he talks about his cancer and then just kind of like a final scene where uh just sh- kind of shortly before his death and it's kind of really awkward but it's awkward in such a real way because you have these people interacting who are it's not that they're walking on eggshells but you know what do you talk about when you know a person is so ill um and it, it's, a, it's a very real moment i mean if, if anyone listening who's had kind of been touched by a serious illness like that in their own lives would probably recognize that kind of uh, the way that people act in that scene. Really, it's it's actually a really good documentary. Really, it's really a it's a really out. well made documentary. I mean, if you if you haven't gotten from what we're saying here uh, the level of appreciation that we have for him and his work, then certainly watching that documentary will really uh, will really kind of, of of put a big stamp on that. I will say about the documentary that I find the in I find the the kind of overview of his career more interesting than the material covering his at the time modern filmmaking. Um, but uh, I mean, it makes sense that that's how it, it would be pieced together because uh, part of it, I imagine when they were making it was almost promotional for the movie that they were making, mm. but you could literally do a full length documentary on just his underground comics work or just his publishing of Cinemagic or right. I mean, he's had such a, an amazing career or just his filmmaking right. You could really, I mean, that's that that just goes to show the kind of breadth of talent that that man had. Yeah, it's it's crazy when you think about it. It really is. So everyone, go out and buy yourself a copy of Night Beast, and then buy all the other Don Dolan movies you can as well, and celebrate his legacy the way that we did here on No Budget Nightmares. Indeed. Any final thoughts on Night Beast, Mo? Uh, 
I loved it. Uh, n- no, nothing else really. <laughs> I, I, it's, I'm, I'm being quick because I really have to get out of here. No, I know yeah. you do. So now that Mo only has a few more minutes, we have to uh, clue up. Uh, we will quickly tell you that if you want to uh, listen to other episodes of No Budget Nightmares, go over to nobudgetpodcast.com. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and subscribe. You can find Mo at Drunk on VHS and myself at Doug underscore T- Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y at Twitter. On the next episode of No Budget Nightmares, <laughs> it's going to be a very interesting experience because listener James Owens has chosen... The very strange-sounding movie, Return of the Ghostbusters, for us to watch. Yeah, I don't know what to think of this one. Well, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I know you're excited about it, so uh, that... This is, this is, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a fan film based on the Dan Aykroyd's original idea for turning Ghostbusters into a franchisable series. Uh, I, I know very little about it, but it is available to be watched for free online because obviously they can't monetize something that is a uh, copyrighted idea. So if you want to check out Return of the Ghostbusters, just do a search for that, or we'll be posting it on our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash no budget nightmares, all one word, or just search for no budget nightmares on Facebook. Mo has to go. We need to clue up. We will be back in just a couple of weeks with Return of the Ghostbusters. Good night, everybody. Good night, folks. <laughs>